we read Psalm 45. The seventh verse told us of Jesus Christ that he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Amen. The Lord sends me to you this morning. I hope you believe it. Amen. I believe it. And the message I have for you is to hate wickedness. Amen. Is to hate sin. Right. We do not hate sin enough. Amen. Because we do not hate sin enough, we do not please the Lord enough. Right. We do not live like we've been redeemed from all our sins. And we deny ourselves the blessings that we need as His children on earth. Amen. And so we end up living incomplete, unsatisfied, discontented, lean, dry, spiritual lives because we don't hate sin enough. Now, hating sin is not a popular topic. I didn't get it off the internet. I didn't get it from a manual at our local Christian bookstore. It's not popular to preach on such a negative subject. But it isn't negative, because it's to the glory of God. It's a very positive subject. Because God hates sin, and we should hate it along with Him. And brethren, I follow Elijah, and John the Baptist, and Paul. I'm not like Robert Schuller. I'm not like James Dobson. I'm not like Billy Graham. I'm not like Cardinal O'Connor. He will need God's mercy on his soul. We'll leave it there. Nor Jerry Falwell. I do not modify God's message to attract people. They all do. That is the number one item on their agenda is modify the message to expand the audience. We will let God expand the audience in His time, in His pleasure. If He wants to, then we'll thank Him for it and we'll labor harder. If He doesn't, we'll labor hard and we'll try to please Him with the numbers that we have. There's enough. There's enough. Hating sin is what I want to preach to you this morning. I hope that you're with me. We all must hate sin and love righteousness to please the Lord of glory and to be the bride befitting Him. Should the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glorious splendor, hating wickedness and loving righteousness, be stuck with a bride that compromises and is impure and spotted with this world? I hope you hate the thought of that, that we should live as He lived, above and hating sin. Now we shall not live without it. But I'm not going to worry about that side of the problem. When we get to the place that we think we're without sin, then we'll preach hard from verses 8 and 10 of the first chapter of First John. Until then, we'll preach hard from the other places in Scripture where there's a greater error. And that is we do not hate sin enough. God hates sin. We've already seen that Jesus Christ hated wickedness. You can turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. I'll read it very quickly. You know that it's there. This is not something I haven't preached in the last 12 weeks. I wonder why I am convinced I need to preach it again. I wonder if there's any reason for that. 
every problem in our lives, every marriage problem, every child problem, every problem is the result of sin. Amen. The fact that you're going to die sometime within 80 or 90 years is a result of sin. The problem that a marriage is not all that God made it to be in the Song of Solomon is sin. The problem that we have discontented and unhappy homes with our children is sin. Because you are not happy and contented with life and living it gloriously and abundantly is sin. Because God God is going to burn this world up with a fervent fire, melting all the elements as we know them is because of sin. God hates sin. Verse 16 of Proverbs chapter 6, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a fantasizing heart. I'll help you out there. You like to read an expression like a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and excuse yourself from it. A heart that fantasizes in any way contrary to God's word. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among brethren. What a list we have there. And every sin that goes in between those. God hates them. Now, it's not popular to preach on the hatred of God. But this is a text, and there's many more like it, that God hates sin, and here He lists seven of them for us. And we should hate them. Do you hate sin this morning? I mean, hate it. If you hate it, you don't do it, you don't talk about it, you don't watch it, you don't think about it, you despise it, you want to destroy it, you condemn it, You ridicule it. And you stay away from it as far as you can if you hate sin. If you play with it in the least way, you do not hate it. If you allow it in the least way, you don't hate it enough. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 61. This isn't a deep subject. But I'm telling you, that we live in a generation where it's a very difficult subject. Is ours a Christian nation? They say it is. They say it is. You know, in the World Almanac, we'd be called a Christian nation. What's Christian about it? It's entertainment? Is its entertainment Christian? Is its entertainment something that could run through Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19? It's leaders? It's schools? It's publications. Isaiah 61 and verse 8. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. The point I want to get is, I, the Lord, love judgment. That means executing justice and doing the right thing. That's what the word judgment means many times when it occurs in your Bible. It doesn't mean hammering people. Sometimes it means hammering people, but many times it means doing the right thing. Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment is what Jesus would say. And I hate robbery for burnt offering. That was a sin that was going on then. Turn to the book of Amos, Jeremiah. I'll pick some easy ones that you can find more quickly. 
I've got a string of them here. We don't need them all. You can get the message. God hates sin. We want to hate it with them. We want to hate it because of them. We want to hate it for them. Jeremiah 44 and verse 4. Jeremiah 44 and verse 4. Howbeit I sent unto you all my servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. There's God's messengers. If I didn't preach a message like this on a regular basis, I wouldn't be God's messenger. I'd be someone else's messenger. This verse says that God has sent His prophets, sending them early, quickly, urgently, saying, Oh, do not do that abominable thing. I hate it. And we must hate sin in our lives. Right. To fear the Lord is to hate sin. Sometimes we get confused when someone says the fear of the Lord is the whole duty of man. That's what Solomon wrote us. And if you're low on understanding the Bible, you'll wonder, what does that fear mean? Well, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 will help define it for us. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Proverbs 8, 13 reads this way. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If God hates something, and He is the Creator God who shall be the judge of heaven and earth, we should be hating it along with Him and not doing it because we fear Him. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. We have a government that likes to sit in session and debate hate legislation as if they are going to outlaw that four-letter word from our language. Hate is a good verb. It's used often in the Bible. God just directs us to hate certain things and to love other things. And as Christians, we can love our enemies, but we are to hate sin. They are totally confounded in their ignorance. If we had a president that hated sin, he'd be a better example for our nation. That's true of all men. Turn to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. I don't want you to think that I would pick one verse like that. Psalm 97. How do you know if you love the Lord? Psalm 97, verse 10. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Do you love the Lord this morning? Hate evil. Hate it. Don't just think poorly of it. Don't just know that sometimes it causes problems. Don't just know that vaguely there's going to be a judgment for it someday. We need to hate it with a positive, fervent hatred, as God does. We like Psalm 119, verse 128. It says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. We like that. But I don't want you to like that preeminently 
in a, in a doctrinal sense, nor in an evangelistic sense, as a verse of division for us from other sects and denominations that don't follow the Bible as closely. I want you to love that verse the way that the psalmist loved it right. in applying it to your own life. Right. Every precept I find the Word of God that steps on my toes or hacks out my right eye is right. Amen. And I love it, and I esteem it, even no matter what it's speaking about in my life, and I hate every false way. That's how we should apply that verse first. If we were to apply that verse that way first, the Lord will give us all the evangelistic opportunities we can handle. Right. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things, not the doctrine of election, not the doctrine of a particular atonement. I'm talking about the doctrine of sin and righteousness. Right. And when a precept comes to us and tells us what we ought to be doing, we ought to esteem it highly and consider it right and do it. And hate not doing it. Amen. And when a precept comes to us and tells us we can't do a certain thing, we ought to esteem that precept regarding that thing and not do it and hate the thought of doing it right. from that text. Do you know that in the law of God, Moses told the children of Israel to take God's precepts and where were they to put them? Between two black covers on the nightstand? On the doorposts, on the walls, on your hands, and on your forehead. That's where we need the precepts of God. So that as we walk through life, it's right there in front of us. It's right there between our eyes, is the way the the Bible does not say forehead. It says between your eyes. And it says on your hand so that you'll remember what God said about everything, and you'll do it. Amen. And not just do it, because that's not the message this morning. The message is to hate every false way. Right. To hate sin. Amen. Are, are our homes like that? Do we have God's precepts so visible, it's as if they're on the wall, on the posts, between our eyes and on our hands? That's where they need to be. We need to make things as black and as white as we can. Sin is sin. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Period, exclamation point. And never compromise it. Never modify it. Never excuse it. Explain it. We don't even need to defend it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. Amen. Our children don't need to know that three-letter word, why, until they're old enough to ask with an understanding way. They need to know that God said it. That's the why. And every time we say something, we ought to already include that, so there is no why. And if it's a commandment that we've made, well, that's God's commandment too, because God gave us as their authority figures, and the head's over them, and when we say something, they don't need to ask why. Because parents said so. That's enough. And anything different than that is sin. Do you know what the Bible calls parents? Gods. With a little g. Do you know what he calls policemen, mayors, congressmen, governors, presidents? Gods. With a little g. And they're to be treated as such. And we need to lay out laws like that. 
We need to condemn euphemisms. It's adultery. It's not an affair. It's not a love affair. It's adultery. It's sodomy. It's not gay. It's sodomy. It's drunkenness. It's not alcoholism. It's drunkenness. It's pride. You can't call it an independent spirit. It's pride. And it's condemned by God. It's rebellion. It's not a strong will. Well, he's a strong-willed child. It's rebellion. And God considers rebellion like witchcraft. Don't play with words. There's nothing gay about sodomy. There's nothing loving about adultery. Men after God's own heart will hate sin and will hate men that promote it. He says it right to hate other men. Just go read Psalm 139 where the sweet psalmist of Israel, that gentle man David, will tell you to hate the enemies of God with a perfect hatred right. and that he did so. Amen. Men that promote evil in our nation, especially our entertainers and especially our educators, especially our leaders. Where do we stop in our nation? They're hated. Not personally. That isn't the point. The point is what they represent and what they do. You don't even know them personally. That isn't the point. But you hate their effect on our society. You hate what they're doing, what they stand for, and what they say. They're the enemies of God. And so the psalmist would tell us in two different, the psalmist would tell us there to hate them. We need to avoid worldly connections. Second Corinthians chapter six says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. We don't. Do you know today you cannot tell the difference? You can't tell the difference hardly between a Christian and a worldling. And in this country, at this stage of affairs, it should be a great difference. Come out from among them. Be separate. Don't touch it. That sounds like hatred to me. Don't even touch it. And I will receive you. You wonder why God doesn't hear your prayers sometimes? You don't feel very close to God? We don't hate sin enough. If we did, God would hear us because He promised I will receive you. You will be my sons and daughters, and I will be your God. Pure religion before God and the Father in James 1.27. Pure religion before God and the Father is to be unspotted from the world. That's not to let a spot get on us. The TV is a fire hose. Don't think you can play with it. It's going to drown you in sin. But we don't even want to be spotted by sin. We don't even want to have a little sin. Because we want to, what? Hate sin. That's pure religion. Is pure religion this great big grinning smile like Robert Schuler that I mentioned earlier telling everybody that you're wonderful and beautiful and as you all get up in the morning and look in the mirror this morning and say I'm beautiful and wonderful yes let's celebrate the beauty of man that isn't pure religion pure religion is to be unspotted from the world not being touched by what this world thinks is good what this world does what this world thinks what this world says 
So turn to Psalm 101. It's just too good. We've read it a, several times in the last three months. Amen. It is so germane and important to this subject. It's why we read it a couple times already. And I'll not read the whole thing, but the whole thing is good. Amen. The whole psalm is so good on this subject. You say, but there's other psalms. I know. We'll get to them when we deserve them. Amen. How's that? Does that sound fair? Yes. We'll get to them when we deserve them. And we'll deserve them when we hate sin enough. Because then God's going to give us His Spirit and oil of gladness, and we'll appreciate the other ones. This is simple. This can get to us. David said in verse 2 of Psalm 101, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will. It's a choice. Behave. I will conduct myself. I will act, do, say. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart, at home, in private, with a perfect heart. Where others don't see us. Oh, we're all perfect on Sunday. Of course. We're in church. It's time to be perfect. But the psalmist said, at home. With his in his heart. At home. You know what home? Listen, we can't even see your thoughts here, but at home you can really get away with your thoughts. But what does the psalmist say? Who God said was a man after his own heart? At home, my heart will be perfect. And in between that, in that sandwich of verse 2, are the precious words, Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? Because he's not coming until we give him that. He does not participate in fellowship with sin and iniquity. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's a prophecy. That's about television. You don't have to wonder what that clause is about. It's a prophecy about television. If you don't believe it, prove me wrong. Thanks. <laughs> I want you to look at those words. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Amen. You know, we walk in and pretty soon you're going to be able to walk in and just feeling your body heat, that thing's going to come on. Just just give it a couple years. You'll walk in and your body heat will turn it on. It'll know when your car's in the driveway and that TV will come on to comfort you and to preach to you. That is a message. It's They're all evangelists, everything on there. The soap operas during the day, prime time at night, all of it is an evangelist yep. sent from the great Deceiver. God of this world, right. the devil himself, Amen. promoting sin. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. The report I heard from the ladies' meeting on Wednesday night made me very pleased and very happy as a pastor to know that the evangelism from Hollywood is being a lot less effective church-wide at home. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Continue to bless us. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Men that turn aside from God's clear and identified path. Men that turn away. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Our educators, our leaders, our entertainers, when they turn away from the way God said it, I hate their work. And it will not touch me. It will not stick to me. It will not cleave to me. I'm not going to let it get near me. Touch not the unclean thing. 
Come out from among them. Be separate. Hate the work of them that turn aside. They turn aside to all sorts of things. Children making jokes of parents. Sodomy. Adultery. Fornication. Levity. Laughter. Jesting. Joking. About life. The Bible condemns it all. He gives us plenty of things to laugh about with holy laughter. You don't need the vain laughter of this life and its stupid sitcoms. All of that, every laugh from a sitcom is ungodly. Show me in a Bible, I'll show you 20 verses in a Bible that damns it. Life is sober, and when you get to the end of it, you'll all know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Right now you want to fight me. Because you're all loving sin, not all. Whoever wants to fight me loves sin. They do not love sobriety. They do not hate foolish talking. Did you know that foolish talking is the reason God will come and burn this world up? Right. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Did you know that jesting is another one of the reasons God is going to come and burn this world up? Amen. Ephesians 5, 8. Do you know when it comes to young men in Titus chapter 2, it gives one thing that the Apostle Paul wanted Titus to preach to young men. Be sober-minded. Right. I know I'm Neanderthal. I should be wanted running around with a piece of leather around my loins, eating locusts and wild honey. I have no place in this 20th century. It's 21st now. See, I'm always behind. I don't belong here. Many times in the privacy of my office, I feel like I'm one in six billion. And I am no hero. I do not live up to what this Word of God describes for me. But I want to, and I shall, and I shall preach it. Amen. And He'll forgive me where I don't. Amen. And I'll keep right on going. Amen. Laughter. Sitcoms are ungodly. You say there's no nudity. So? Do you know what? Laughing is worse than nudity. Forget that remark. I believe it, though. Because laughter reduces the soul to the level of a demon-possessed idiot so that all sin is right there for him. It takes away all the discipline and the gravity and the sobriety of the human soul. Laughing all the time in those sitcoms that are designed with little signs up there to get the studio audience to laugh to turn you into a superficial, shallow, laughing, jesting perspective on life so that you cannot see the truth. You cannot see the gravity of our situation. We're all dying. We're all on a ship that's going down and everyone wants to laugh. No one says, we're all dying. Judgment's coming. There's a hell that waits. Amen. No one says it. Amen. God's given us so many things to laugh about and to give all the pleasant pleasures of life. And it's certainly, he certainly didn't invent sitcoms. God made man upright and they've sought out many inventions is what the Bible says. Amen. The Bible says to love not the world. You know what it says in 1 John 2? You can't love the world and love the Father. You can't do them right. both. If you're going to love the Father, you've got to hate the world. If you're going to love the world, you already hate the Father. Because you don't like that being 
who gets in your way of having fun. You can't, you got to love the Father and hate the world. If you don't hate the world, you don't really love God. Because they're opposites. They're against each other. They're antithetical to each other. Set your affection on things above, is what the Bible tells us. Your affection, love, things up there. Love, heavenly things. And do you know what it says? It says set. That's an imperative verb. That means some, that's something we can do and something we should do. Something we're told to do. Set your affections. You don't have to wait. Don't sit around waiting. Well, I, I, I want to love the Lord more, but I, I, I'm just waiting for Him to fill me with love for Him. Set your affection on things above. Amen. Choose to talk, think, read, listen to music about things above. Amen. Guess what will happen? Your affection for things above will increase. Amen. Amen. Set them there. Don't leave them laying around. Set them somewhere. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. If you're going to love God and serve Him, then you've got to hate this world and sin. Hating sin is the opposite of walking the line. Hating sin is the opposite of protecting your pet pleasures. Hating sin is the opposite of compromise. Hating sin is not asking, how close can I get to the line before I sin? Hating sin is, how far away can I get from the line and still live? (laughs) But oh, how we play with sin, don't we? Well, it wasn't that bad of a movie. Did it have sin in it? You say, well, if we ruled out all movies that had sin in it, there wouldn't be any movies left. Amen. <laughs> I've used my concordance all week. I've gone into Godspeed under M. Couldn't find movies. Big loss. No other generation in the history of the world except the last two had them. Yep. That's right. Or three, if you want to talk about the silent ones. You don't need them. Sorry. If, you're, if you don't like what I'm saying about movies, then you've got a problem. You don't hate sin enough. Because that is the most powerful medium that's been devised yet. Because we live in an age of witty inventions, it's our blessing and it's our curse. To put in the living room of every home a living, moving, talking, technicolor evangelist. It's incredible. He'll preach at any time. All you got to do is hit the switch. And he'll preach with all his fervency and zeal because they love sin and we have to hate it. You say, why do you spend so much time on movies and television? Because I think it's one of the greatest evils that Christians allow into their lives for a constant source of evangelism towards sin. And I personally know the effect that it has. Amen. And it is such a simple thing to get rid of. Click it off. Take the cord and rip it out of the back. That way in a weak moment, you can't go plug it in. Do whatever you need to do. Anybody want a 53-inch Sony XBR? Make me an offer. It sits by itself, lonely, in a corner now. 
May God continue to bless me to hate it and to teach you to hate it and for God the Holy Spirit to teach you to hate it. We don't want to ask the question, how close can I get to the world and have some of the world's goodies and still have God? We want to ask, how far away can I get to really be God's? That's the question. But our soul, oh, the devil comes along and says, you can have both. Why can't you be a just a, a, a good Christian in the world and enjoy some of the things of the world, but be there every Sunday and read your Bible? Go ahead and memorize some verses. That's what he wants us to think. We can't have them both. We should be trying to get away from the world and being his and his alone. If it's questionable, you know what, what you ought to do as a Christian is you approach life and you see things. If it's questionable, what's the obvious answer? Don't do it. Give God the benefit of doubt and all the glory to Jesus Christ. And you'll live a much happier life and it becomes very easy. Yeah. If there's a question about it, don't do it. You say, but I'd be cutting out all those questionable things in my life. Yes, those are called sins because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I esteem all thy precepts. Is that a precept? Yes. If we esteem that precept and we hate every false way, then everything that's questionable we're going to cut off. You see, but I'd be left with just serving the Lord and loving my family and going to work and being a good employee. Amen. Sounds good. We're learning this morning. We're learning. We're learning. You know, the Bible says that love of the brethren is the proof that we're the children of God. It's repeated so many times. Do you know what we have to do then in the context of this message? Hate anything that comes up in our thoughts that would not be to promote the love of the brethren. That's That's how we're using this sermon. Hate sin. Because the Bible tells us to love the brethren, if anything comes up where we're thinking negatively or less of a brother, we hate it because we want to love our brethren. Amen. Let's get it right down to us. We will not let it come up because we hate every false way and the precept that we're thinking about is love one another. So everything that comes up to mitigate or to distract us or to deny us loving another, we hate it. Yes. Anything. I don't care how rudely they treated you, ignore it. Ignore it. Be glorious. Hate it. Contentment is a commandment. So we have to hate anything that causes us to be unhappy or discontented or covetous in our lives. If we're looking around wishing we were happier, wishing we had something different, wishing we had a different spouse, wishing we had better kids, wishing we had a better house, wishing we had a nicer car, if we're unhappy about any of these things, we're discontent, we're sinning. And we should hate that. Anything that causes us to be unhappy, discontented, or looking around, we should hate it. Amen. God gave you what you have, and it's a whole lot more than most of the rest of the history of humanity has had. You ought to be thankful instead of discontented. Amen. And discontentment leads to great sins. Yes, right. The Bible says that it leads to lust. And lust, when it's conceived, ends up in sin. And sin, when it's finished, is death. Sin starts out with not being happy with what you have. I need more. No, you don't need more. You could get by with less. All of us could. 
Every single one in here could easily get by with less, and most of God's saints in the history of the world have got by with less and were better for it. Adultery is a heinous sin. Anything that even points or hints in that direction has got to be hated. Anything that points or hints in that direction must be hated. A beautiful woman dressed temptingly, which is all modern dress or most modern dress. A beautiful woman dressed that way. She's attractive. She's pleasant. She's desirable. What should you do when you see her? Single her out of a crowd for an object of ogling for the next five or ten minutes? Or turn away immediately and say, Lord, you know, that's, that's beautiful. But I hate it. Because that, in public, leads men to sin and destroys so- strong men. Right. So I hate it. Instead of elbowing and pointing out, instead of looking two, three, four, five times, you turn away and you hate it. And you don't dwell on the fact that it's beautiful. And you don't dwell on the fact that you'd like to look. You dwell on the fact that you should hate it because God said you should hate it, because He said, lust not after her beauty in your heart, and because it destroys men. It's the road to hell. How about hypocrisy? Should we hate hypocrisy? It's the worst sin of all. It's claiming to love righteousness while you're doing wickedness. God would rather have us doing wickedness and loving it than saying that we are His and we love Him and doing wickedness. He would rather have us just give up on religion completely and go serve sin in our flesh than to come in here and open our mouths and praise Him and do it on the side, out of sight of everyone. He sees it all. He wants us to be on fire for Him and Him alone or to be totally cold and dead in this world, not playing the game between the two. Hate, hypocrisy. Brethren, I'm talking about your television today, your thoughts, your speech, your attitude, your good works. Are you full of good works? Oh, I thought you were just on negative points, things I shouldn't do. Oh, no, I'm not, because there's a whole lot of precepts about things you should be doing. And if you're not doing them, you're sinning just as much. Therefore, we should hate that sin. I'm sorry that I just doubled the equation. (laughs) To love the Lord your God. You know what? I'll just settle with one. I'll probably get some more in here. But one great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a commandment. Anything that distracts or keeps you from doing that is sin. You say, but my job's just taking too many hours. You need a new job. Amen. It's that simple. Our society is trying to dictate to you that if you don't work that hard to keep up with the Joneses next door, I do have Joneses next door, to keep up with the Joneses next door, then you're a failure. But the Bible says, the Bible, I looked up Joneses too. I didn't see anything about the Joneses in the Bible. Except that I'm supposed to love them. So when their mail gets in my box, I take it over to them instead of throwing it in the trash. 
Simple point. Love your, loving your neighbor. When you have, as soon as you see an opportunity to help your neighbor, you want to help them. When you see them trying to load a piano in the house, you know what I can do when I see a piano in my subdivision? I have four slaves that any two of them can haul a piano anywhere, and when four of them arrive, it's done. And I like being one of the slaves with them. I didn't mean that in any derogatory sense whatsoever. The last time we did that, it was, I thank David and me. And they just stood aghast as we could pick it up and walk it in the house and just said, where do you want it? But anyway, that's loving your neighbor. But the Bible doesn't tell us about keeping up with our neighbor or passing our neighbor or resenting our neighbor or trying to get ahead of our neighbor. God doesn't care about any of that. Do you know what he wants us to be? Godly with contentment. It's great gain. And I know I've preached it before. Do you know why I'm preaching on it again? Why I'm mentioning it again? Because every, when you walk out this door for the, net, for the 164 hours that you are not here, you are being evangelized by American covetousness, greed, and pride. The lust of the eyes. Everywhere we go, we're seeing these people build houses that are monstrosity, monstrosities to their own glory. It's ridiculous to have a five-bedroom house with three fireplaces and a four-car garage and to have one child. You see, but can't they do that if they want to? If the Lord gives them that house with a normal and, and basic amount of work, then God be praised for His great mercy to them. Right. But when a man goes and spends his life at the, sh- at the office in order to get that, rising early and staying up late, and working overtime by choice to have that so that he can build a name for himself and denies his children the time that they ought to have being taught the things of the Word of God and his wife the time to love her like the Song of Solomon describes and his own personal relationship with God, he has sinned. He has sinned. And everything out there is trying to get all of us to do that. To be unhappy with a small house. Amen. Right now, well, that's easy for you to say. Just keep watching. I've already tried to trade Brother Mark. He doesn't want my payment. Even if you paid it, I wouldn't pay. I I love Mark's house. Love Mark's house. We can't we're not content. Brethren? When we talk about television and movies, I've just got a bunch of points here. I'm not as organized this morning. I can't help it today. When we talk about movies and television, don't always look at what is in a movie or what isn't in a movie. I mean, what's in a movie? Don't say that movie wasn't too bad. There wasn't too much adultery in it. There wasn't too much swearing. There wasn't too much fornication. There wasn't too much lying. There wasn't too much deceiving. There wasn't too much covetousness. There wasn't too much rebellion, stubbornness, and disobedience to parents. It wasn't that bad. Okay, you got all that. Don't that, that shouldn't even be a question. But there's another thing I want you to think about every time you watch something on television. What is missing? What is missing? I don't care if it's Sarah Long, Tall and Ugly, or whatever the name of that great little movie is that some of you think is so great. I just want to, just want to throw out something for you to think about. Those people are ungodly. When anything bad happens, they don't go to the Lord. It doesn't show it doesn't show them building good spiritual habits in their lives. You say they prayed before dinner. Everybody prays before dinner, brethren. They pray before dinner on soap operas. That isn't proof of anything. 
It isn't proof of anything. What is left out? That faith, that godliness, that personal walking with God and all the things that make for a great Christian life are, are left. And because there's no blatant adultery, fornication, deception, rebellion, you think you've got a good movie. But if you feed your children that enough, you are undermining everything we stand for. And that is when we're afraid, we go to God. When we have a need, we go to God. When we don't have a need and we're not afraid, we go to God. And our greatest pleasure is going to God. And with our wives, we go to God. And with our children, we go to God. You want to watch enough of that stuff, and the reason you do it is because you're trying to get away from the blatant stuff that's in other movies. But I want to remind you, you are promoting a family life and a personal life that we don't believe in. Amen. We believe in something far higher than that. Amen. Great gain is not godliness with contentment with some success. Follow me closely. Great gain is not godliness with contentment with some success. We want to put our parentheses in that statement and get some success in there. Because if I don't have any success in life, I mean, if I'm really just making enough to live and save a little for my children's future and to put clothes on their back and food in their bellies and a roof over their head, that isn't enough. That's, that's a failure. But the Bible says, this is a precept that we esteem, don't we? Godliness with contentment is great gain, and it doesn't say anything about how much you have or you don't have. Hate lies. Do you like little lies? Do you allow little lies? Big lies, funny lies. Minor lies, white lies, as some have said. They're all black. Amen. They're wrong. You say, but what about... I'm not worried about that this morning. Well, what about Rahab? No, we're not worried about that this morning. Call me when you've got two spies laying on your rooftop and the police are at your door wanting them. Call me. We'll work on that then. Right now, hate lying because deception is horrible. It undermines the relationships between people. And it's hard to replace it. Hate fornication. You say, what does it mean? It means doing anything that you shouldn't be doing with someone of the other sex. Hate it all. Whether it's married people, unmarried people, whether it's with love, without love, whether it's in your thoughts, your words, your jokes, or your songs. Hate it. Christians can't listen to music that's promoting fornication. Directly or indirectly, Christians can't tell jokes like that because we're to hate it. You tell enough jokes, pretty soon you'll allow yourself to fantasize about it. You fantasize about it enough, God will bring you a Bathsheba because He wants to show you what's in your heart. And He wants to show you the error of your ways. Cut it all out. That's how you hate it. Is bitterness at your wife a sin? Yes. Then if there's anything that you feel welling up inside you or anything happens that's provoking that first impulse of bitterness and and anger at something she did, what should your emotion be toward that thing? 
Kill it. Kill it. Hate it. Hate that welling bitterness towards your wife. Hate it and put it away and love her instead. You say when she's done something wrong, uh, how do you want, do you want the Lord, do you want to ever taste the Lord's bitterness when you've done something wrong? I'll leave it there. That should be good enough advice. Amen. Women, is referencing your husband's a precept of the Bible? Do you esteem it? Then you should hate anything that takes you away from reverencing your husband. You say he doesn't de deserve reverence. He deserves reverence because God said he does. And it's not because of who he is or what he does. It's because of his office. Amen. He's your husband. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether where he leaves his clothes. It doesn't matter how often he showers. Nothing like that. God put him in an office. And God considers the office very highly, and he considers you subservient to it and should reverence your husband. And if you don't like it, then just fold up the book and burn it this afternoon. The Bible tells wives to reverence their husbands. And if you thought I was just unfair in the weight, weighty treatment of those two points, I'll go back to the men. If you ever feel, uh, feel the bitterness coming up against your wife, crush it, hate it, and love her. You're being unmerciful. She is not you. The Bible says she's a weaker vessel. She will not measure up. She will disappoint you. And if you get bitter about it, you hurt her. But I'm not really concerned that much about her this morning. I'm concerned about the holy God. You hurt him, and he will withdraw his spirit from you and leave you retching for your happiness. Because you won't have any. Hate bitterness towards your wife. Hate anything against your parents. If your mother tells you to do something, do it. Even the thought of not doing it is sin. Right. Hate that sin. You say, but she works me so hard. Good. So what? It'll make you a better person someday. Amen. Right. But they take away my fun. Good. You don't even know what fun is yet. Right. Trust your parents. Obey your parents. Honor your parents. These are simple commandments. Anytime you think about not obeying your parents, you're sinning. You should hate that sin. Love to do what's right. Love to obey your parents. Love to see if you can be the fastest one to obey in the house. Love to see if you can be the most cheerful one to obey in the house. Love to see if you can always be the one talking positive about your parents. That whenever you're off by your, with your brothers and sisters, you're always saying good things about mom and dad. That is honoring your parents. If a brother or sister wants to say something negative, blast them. Well, God, that's for mine. Stand for righteousness. Hate sin. Honor your parents, private and public, before them and not before them. It's a great commandment. It's one of the ten. It's the first one with a promise. If you'll do it, God will give you a long and a good life. Amen. He doesn't need to give us that, but He does it anyway. Praise His name. He's so merciful and gracious. All you children, hate sin. Hate anything that makes you disrespect your parents. You didn't get a car when you wanted it? Hate any feeling that wells up inside of you because they didn't give you exactly what you wanted. They have reasons. They've lived four times as long, two, three, four times as long as you have. They've driven longer. 
It's so ridiculous to even question it. They know better, and they love you. You don't love you. All you love is foolishness. They are thinking of your best interests. And none of that really matters. God said, honor your parents. That means whenever a thought pops up that's negative about your parents, hate it and put it away. And then someone will be sitting there saying, well, I've never committed adultery, disobeyed my parents, or told a lie. Well, I've got one for you. It's called self-righteousness. And when it swells up in your breast, hate it. The thought that you are righteous, and I don't care how righteous you've been, the thought that you are righteous is sin. Because you are a sinner. And if it weren't for Jesus Christ suffering the horrible pains of hell on the cross of Calvary, you'd be in hell yourself. Hate self-righteousness. That's a Pharisee. You're the worst one Jesus ever met. Jesus loved harlots. And if you sit there in your heart and say, man, he committed adultery, or she committed adultery, I've never done anything like that. Gee, I'll tell you one thing I know for sure from the Bible. Jesus loves that harlot long before he'll ever love you. Because he knows you need him worse than she does. At least she's honest. And at least she's got repentance in her heart. And at least she came to Jesus and fell at his feet and begged for mercy. While the Pharisees sat there and made fun of him because he would show her any affection and forgiveness. Everybody likes to sit around and say, well, I'd never be guilty of such a big sin like that. I guess I already fulfilled this sermon. I hate sin. I hate adultery. I'd never do that. I hate lying. I never do that. While you're guilty of the worst one of all, self-righteousness. Do you know why I call it the worst one of all? Because you can't bring that person to repentance. Do you know why they can't repent? They don't have anything to repent of. Jesus had incredible problems with the Pharisees. He said, they that are well don't need a physician. Jesus loved publicans and sinners. And isn't that, aren't you, don't you love that? Amen. Brethren, today is worse than ever. The Bible says that evildoers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's not me trying to give a background for my sermon. That's the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Evildoers shall wax worse and worse, seducers. It's almost impossible today to distinguish between Christians and pagans. Every problem that comes up in lives is is a function of sin. I've said that earlier. Marriage problems are the result of sin. Someone is sinning in that relationship or both. The problems in life. Amen. We want to hate sin. We, want, we don't want to compromise with sin. Can you believe Lot, when the angels dragged him out of the city of Sodom, he's still begging to stay in that little city of Zoar, which was in the plain. Right. And God has so mercifully said, Lot, I've even granted you this thing. I've just saved your life because I'm going to burn up where what you thought was a great city. I'm going to burn it up. And now you want another little one sin in your life. I'll go ahead and give it to you, but I'll tell you what, when the heat came down and he was sunburned real badly from what came down in Sodom and Gomorrah, he hid for the mountains. Right. He got the message after the fire fell, but he didn't get the message of an angel trying to drag him out. And you know what I'm trying to do this morning? I'm trying to drag you out before the fire falls. Amen. We cannot compromise with sin. We have right. to hate it, avoid it, not touch it, separate from it, and come out from among those that do it. 
What caused the flood? Sin. Thank you. What caused the creation of hell? Sin. What caused the suffering of Jesus Christ in the cross of Calvary? My sins. Did babies die in the flood? Amen. Did they die peacefully in their sleep from crib death? Yep. How about grandparents in the flood? Yep. This wouldn't go over big on Robert Schuler's channel. Nope. But it's the Bible. Right we look at the flood and all we can... We read it last night in our family, Genesis 6 and 7. We look at the flood and all we can think about is the size of the ark, that it had three stories, that they had two of every clean animal and seven... Two, two of the unclean animals and seven of the clean animals, and we think about the facts. You know me, brother, and I'm not like that. I don't want you to think about the facts of the flood. The issue of the flood is God looked down from heaven and saw that men were evil in their thoughts continually from their youth, and it repented him that he had ever made them, and so he purposed in his heart to destroy them because he hates sin. And do you know what the first sin is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were very fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. We have a responsibility as parents not to let our children marry out of the Lord. That's the first sin in Genesis chapter 6 that brought on the flood, that destroyed every living thing that hath the breath of life in its mouth. And you need to think about the details of the flood. You need to think about the kindergarten that didn't let out in time. Because that is a picture of what God thinks of sin. So when you're saying that that movie wasn't that bad, just remember that. That joke wasn't that bad. Why, that was a joke about heaven. Didn't that make it good? Brethren, we're not Christians in this sense of the word. Everybody in the United States is a Christian. Isn't this a Christian nation? We want to be saints. Saints. Those are God's saved sinners living holy lives. We won't look like Christians. We'll look like saints loving righteousness and hating wickedness. For those of you that run into Christians on the job and talk about anything with them or watch them, you know what I'm talking about. But you know what the real fear is? When everyone on the job knows that we claim to be a Christian, they better see saints, not just Christians. What happened to Uzzah when he touched the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from falling off? He died. They were having a glorious celebration of the glory of God. He died? Amen. Was that fair? What does it show us a picture of? God's holiness and what He thinks of sin, modifying a little tiny commandment. They were getting the ark there better. Isn't carrying it on a brand new ox cart better than carrying it on the priests on the, sh- the shoulders of priests? Nope. Isn't that more glorious to put it on a brand new ox cart? And He didn't want it to fall off. He just reached out to steady it. And God killed him? Yep. No. Yes. Was Moses a good man? A faithful man? Did he serve God for many years with a very rebellious and stiff-necked people? Did he get to see the land of Canaan? How many offenses? One. Did he go to the right rock? 
Did he do it when God wanted him to? Did he get water? But he smote it with his rod instead of speaking to it, and God didn't let him into the land of Canaan. That's what God thinks of sin. What happened to a husband and a wife that came to Peter in the New Testament church? The husband came in first in Acts chapter 5, laid down a huge sum of money, and said, Peter, we've sold our property. We want to give it to the Lord. What happened to the man? Fell down dead. The ushers came forward, and instead of collecting the offering plates, they picked up Ananias, hauled him out, and put him in the church cemetery six feet under. Three hours later, his wife walks in. Peter says, did you sell the property for so much, Sapphira? We sure did, Peter. What happened to her? Fell down dead. This is Acts chapter 5. Billy Graham doesn't use these texts at Crusades. But we should know them. Fell down dead. Don't you think that, was it that wrong for them to keep back a little bit of money for themselves? I mean, they've saved for a long time for that piece of property. There was no sin in keeping back that money for themselves, but they chose to lie about it. Right. And a little lie. Even They gave a great gift. It could have benefited many souls. Yep. It did. The Lord took it from them. But it was a great gift. But the Lord does not allow lying. He hates it. And so when you lie to Him, you pay for it. When Jesus found some money changers in the temple? Did he talk to them? Did he say, brethren, these things ought not to be done? Did he say, did you get up this morning and look in the mirror and say, what a wonderful man you are? Or did Jesus make himself a cord, a whip of cords, and drive them out of the temple, kicking over their tables? with In fury. A man does not do that passively. The disciples looked at him, and there's only one thought that came to mind. A verse from the Psalms, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Right. Something was eating Jesus Christ up. Those are God's words, not mine. We have taken those words. Something was eating Jesus Christ up, and that was his temple being used to make money. But people needed animals for sacrifices. They were there to make a coin off of God's people. And how much religion today goes down making money off of the Lord's people? Jesus, look at, look at what happened. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire fell from heaven and burned them up. Does that include the children? Yep. The newlyweds? Yep. The retirees? Yep. Everyone? Yep. What happened to Lot's wife? Yep. She turned to a pillar of salt. What did she do wrong? She looked back. You mean God hates sin that much? That all she did was look back? How could you resist? Fire's going to fall from heaven and you're running away from it. Why couldn't you just take a little peek? What is wrong with that? Because God said, don't look back. Amen. You see, with the temptation would be so great to take a peek. God said, don't look back. She didn't esteem that little precept as high as she should have. She didn't hate every false way. She took a peek and she turned into a pillar of salt. That is so cruel. That is so holy. That is so glorious. He is God. We are the people formed by His hands and we should obey every commandment He gives us. And when we tell a child that it's cross the street now, do we want that child to get out to the middle and stop and look around? 
Have you all, all you fathers been in that situation knowing exactly what I'm talking about? You want them to obey unhesitatingly, just like a general does in a war. The soldiers had better attack now, and they don't have time, nor should they ever think about it. Right. If he says that hill, this way, they don't think around that way would be better. They go that way now with all their zeal, and they hate every false way. And when an army is run properly, anyone who likes false ways gets a forty-five at close light range from friendly fire. Amen. We don't operate that way anymore. But that's how the Lord operates. Right. What about Cain's worship service? Did Cain come to the right altar? Yep. Did he come at the right time? Mm -hmm. The right place to the right God? Cain was a farmer. Cain gave the best he had. He loved farming. He didn't like being a shepherd. He loved to farm. He brought some beautiful grain. You should have seen it. It was impressive. It was beautiful. It cost him dearly. He arranged it perfectly. Did God accept his offering? Did God accept him? No. God hates sin. Is hell hot? Is eternity long? Is that a geometric increase over the ingrown toenail that you have? Is that a geometric increase over a very sore back? Is that a geometric increase over anything you can suffer in this world? Amen. What does it picture? What God thinks of sin? Is sin worth it? You know, our newspapers and Newsweek magazine and all the other popular publications of our country warn us about skin cancer, that we ought not to spend too much time in the sun. They're worried about our skin getting a little too much heat from the sun. Why can't I ever read any warnings about hellfire? It is so absent. Right. Doesn't, it say, doesn't it scream to you that this nation hates God? It will not give any recognition to the fact that He is going to judge the earth. They want to warn you about skin cancer, but not about hell. Something is twisted and perverse, and it's not in this room, and it's not in this Bible. It's in their thinking. Who gives a rip about skin cancer compared to eternal fire? If we know the judgment of God for such sins, how can we even do or watch anything that's even close to sin? Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. He's finding out about God's way. Don't you ever think of the words, I did it my way. That man was as anti-God as you can get and be an American. I did it my way, and they bought the record. God's doing it his way now. They've met. I'm not a sadist. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I want to be like Elijah and John the Baptist. That's what the Bible would warn us about. Amen. You want to do it your way? You're going to meet a God that is forward with the forward. Right. You want to show yourself merciful? He'll be merciful. You show yourself pure? He'll be pure. You show yourself forward? He will be forward with you. Fools make a mock at sin. We should never joke about sin, smile about it, laugh about it, tease, think, dream, or even play with sin. We should hate it in our conversations, our thoughts, and any discussion about it. We should hate sin. Right. Any sin that you leave in your life leads to more, destroys your peace and joy, and is going to bring judgment now and later. 
Any sin that you leave in your life leads to more. It's never happy alone. It deceives you into more, destroys your peace and joy, and is going to bring God's judgment now and later. Our motives to hate sin should be because we fear God, because we love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, because we're thankful to what to God for what He's done for us, to magnify the truth of His Word Amen. in this world, to obtain the personal tranquility that He offers, right. to have a clear conscience, and to reprove the world for their wickedness by living an example before them of how it should be done. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word. Amen. Please stand with me. <coughs> Holy Father, Your Word warns me that though I would bray a fool in a mortar with a pestle, his foolishness shall not depart from him. But your word also gives me the great hope that the Apostle Paul could write to Titus and tell him that we ourselves were sometimes foolish. And you gave us a new heart. And I pray that you'll give everyone in here a new heart. Amen. And Heavenly Father, those with new hearts that do hate sin and love righteousness, I hope their hearts have been provoked to greater zeal for Thee. I pray by Your Holy Spirit You'll bring forth fruit from this message. I know that it is not by might, nor eloquence, nor argument, nor number of points, nor volume. It is by Your Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so I turn it over to Thee now, begging Thee to bring forth fruit, not for my honor and glory. I don't care if I ever hear a word not for the honor and glory of this church, but for the honor and glory of thy great name, that we might live up to it. As saints in the earth that are truly Christians, who live like Jesus Christ, hating wickedness and loving righteousness. And, O Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll be clothed in his righteousness, and he shall come to rescue us and deliver us into his heavenly palaces to be with him forevermore. Let this thought be the chief love desire, and aim of our lives, through him and to him, and for him who loved us and died for us, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.